Okay, there are saints, Exodus chapter 39, beginning in verse 32 this evening. And Lord willing, as we go through, we'll um, complete um, the book here tonight, and we'll begin the book of Acts um, next Monday. Well, let's, let's bow our hearts. Father, we're so grateful for just this journey that you brought us through, the blessings of just seeing um, you and your faithfulness to your children, to the promises, to the covenant that you made with Abraham. And Lord, we just, we trust you, that you are a fulfiller of the promises. And we know that, Lord, that as you've begun a good work, you are faithful to complete it. And so we see, Lord, just uh, as we've been in this book, just a uh, um, year and seven months, that, that they have literally journeyed for a year. And, and we are just so blessed to have been a part of that journey to, for you to show us your heart through these things. And, and it is to really a greater understanding of, of the blessing of the journey, Lord, that, that, that you take us through. So we're asking God that in this um, last portion that you can always speak to us. And in our hearts, do you let us see Jesus? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, as we find ourselves here in Exodus 39, beginning in verse 32, we've been going through these last few chapters, and as we've been looking at we've kind of seen a pattern going on. As um, we saw the basically everything being now positioned almost reiterated from what it had been spoken of earlier in the book of, of Exodus. We saw how they talked about the boards and the coverings of the tent, and we saw how that was, you know, the, the body of Christ. We saw the ministry of Christ as we looked at the services in the tabernacle. We saw the sacrifices of Christ as we looked at the, the ministries outside the tabernacle and how they, they so wonderfully fit those I am statements that we find in the Gospel of John and we've made a note as we've gone through this, the, the, the two portions that we've looked in the book of Romans, where there in, in chapter 10, verse um, 7, where the, the author of, of, of Hebrews, sorry, I said Romans, I meant Hebrews. We've been looking at those two passages in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 7, where he said, um, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. And it says this, to do your will. The, the, the whole thing about the tabernacle is it's a shadow, it's a type, but it's written of Christ, and it's about what he did, and that's what we're going to be seeing here um, tonight. The other passage that we've been looking at in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8, the first couple of verses, where he says, now this is the main point of things we're saying, that we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So in other words, these are all types, these are shadows. For every high priest is appointed of, to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve, it says, verse 5, the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he's obtained a more excellent ministry in as much he's also the media of the better covenant, which was established on better promises. So we see that his ministry, as he does both the inward and the outward, the, the ministry, the sacrifice, everything is so much greater than what we see here. 
But as we get into this, I want you to, to recognize there's going to be a couple things. There's literally four sections within this, this portion of Scripture that we're going to be looking at. And I want you to understand what these sections are prior to getting into it. As we get into verse 32 of Exodus 39, it says, Thus all the work of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting was finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. So in other words, everything's done, they're wrapping it up. And it says this in verse 33, they brought the tabernacle to Moses. This is the first thing. They, first they bring it to Moses. And, and so basically, verse 42 says, according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. And Moses looked over all the work. Indeed, they had done it. And the Lord had commanded that they had done it. And so Moses blessed them. So the first thing we're going to see is basically... The, the, the children of Israel have finished the work. They now bring it to Moses. And you get into chapter 40, the first two verses, where it, it makes this statement. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the, the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put it in the ark of the testimony. And then it says, verse 4, you shall bring in the table. Verse 5, you shall also set the altar. Verse 6, you shall also set the altar. Verse 7, and you shall set the labor. Verse 8, you shall set up the court. So you see all these things that now Moses, after he receives it from the people, begins to, in a sense, give it to the Lord. He begins to set everything up. So first the items are brought. Now it begins to be set up. And then once we get into verse 16 and 17 of chapter 40, thus Moses did according to all the Lord commanded. So he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle. And of course, in verse 19, at the end, it says, as the Lord had commanded. And then in verse 21, as the Lord has commanded, he brings in the ark. And then, of course, he brings in the table of showbread at the end of verse 23, as the Lord has commanded. And so we see now, the after he sets it all up, it simply says, and it was set up. So in other words, the work is finished. And it's a neat thing to see the progression of the finished work. The people bring it to Moses, Moses brings it to God, and then God sees it as done. And, and the last part is huge, because if God doesn't see it as done, it isn't finished. We don't say when it's finished, God says when it's finished. So I love that process of the finished work. So Jesus himself could have said, hey, my work is done. God says, oh no, it is done. And so we understand that when God puts a stamp of approval on something, then it begins to happen. Of course, the, the final stamp of approval that we see in verse 34 of Exodus 40 is then when the cloud covered the tabernacle and meeting the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this is it. God says everything is done. Now I want to enter in. I want to journey in. So these are the, the four sections that we're going to seek to cover here this evening. And keep in mind that there's going to be a lot of repetition to what we've already looked at. And so as, as we go through this, keep in mind the patterns are not going to change. The patterns are going to stay the same. They're going to be setting up the tent. They're going to be putting up the wood and the coverings. It's always first. So that's the first thing that happens. And after the tent, then you go to the table of showbread. After the table of showbread, the table of showbread, then you go to the, the, the lampstand. After the lampstand, you go to the altar of incense. After the altar of incense, then you come back to the to the bronze labor, and then you or the bronze altar, then the bronze labor, and then of course the courts that go around. So these are the things that are, are always within that pattern that I want you to see is there. Oh, and of course, after the, the, the setting up the, the, the tabernacle, 
the very next thing is always the, the mercy seat with the ark. That's always the, the pattern that's set up. So I jumped on that one. So what we see is this. Beginning in verse 32 of Exodus 39, thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the children of Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. So the children of Israel begin this work. And as they begin the work, it, it's an amazing thing that, that there's going to be this obedience of the people. And the final thing that happens when, when Moses receives it, at the very end of verse 43, I want you to recognize this, he blesses them. There's a blessing that comes through their obedience. But it begins this. As they did according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so they did, verse 33, they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and the coverings of the ram skins dyed red, the coverings of the badger skins, and the veil of the covering. So that's initially what we see. They bring it in, and of course we start with the, the, the boards and the coverings, and then verse 35, we see the next thing is the ark is always the patterns there. The ark of the testimony with its poles and its mercy seat. And of course, the ark is always mercy is covering the law. And then it says, verse 36, the table and its utensils and all the showbread. So you have the table of showbread that we, we've talked about. And then verse 37, the pure gold lampstands with it lamps um, set in order and its utensils and its oil for light. And then the gold altar, the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door. So now we see here that altar of incense that goes before the veil that's in between the holy place and the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. And then from that point, after we go from the altar of incense, verse 39, to the bronze altar, its great cover, its poles, its utensils, the labor with its base, and then, of course, um, the, the hangings of the court, the pillars, the sockets, the, the, the screens, and so um, of the gate with its pegs, its utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting. And then lastly, of course, you, you go from the, the work and the ministry of Christ that he does. And then um, the next thing that's always in that pattern is verse 41, the garments of the ministry to minister in the holy place for the priests. Um, the holy garments for Aaron and the priest and the, the son's garments to minister as the priest. So you see here, it begins to, to show this work is done over and over again. The, the pattern is always the same and, and they finished it. And what I love is as God commanded it. And this is where it's so beautiful. As God commanded Moses, Moses shared with the people, the people did it. And God gives them the credit for it through the spirit. And so verse 42, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. And Moses looked over all the work, that indeed they had done it, as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. So what Moses does is he, as they bring it to Moses, Moses oversees it, he takes inventory, yes, it's sufficient, now they bring it to God. He doesn't shortchange it. Everything that God says we have to do, Everything was accomplished. And once it was accomplished, now Moses then brings it to the Lord. And this is so beautiful because we recognize that, that what they're showing us is very simply, it's done. It's finished. And then to make evident, now Moses brings this before the Lord. And so in verse 40, or in verse 1 of chapter 40, 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the meeting. Um, and so we recognize this is basically where um, God began to free the people from the children of Israel um, from Egypt. And this, it would become now the first day of the month. It actually happened on the first day of the month. Um, the first day of the first month. So one year has gone by in their journey. And this has been an incredible year for um, Israel. And of course, it's been an incredible year and a half plus for us. We're just a little bit longer than that. Um, and so, but as they went through this, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall put in the ark of the testimony. So it's, it's wonderful to see that, that what happens is this. The first two verses of chapter 40, it talks about an appointed time. That, that we're, remember what Jesus often said, my time is not yet come, my time is not yet come. And then when it came time, he said, oh, my time has come. Now it's my time. And I think it's important to recognize that within this ministry of the tabernacle, as it portrays to Jesus, there is a point in the ministry where the time has come. Now the time has come. There's the prep, the prep, the prep. Everything that Jesus did in his ministry was a preparation for what he was doing. He was making all these things, fulfilling all these types in his ministry and his sacrifices. And now the time has come where we're about to witness as they say, God, we're going to now set this thing up for you. We're going to actually accomplish that work that you called it to do on the appointed time that you called it to do. And once they do that, God says, yes, it's done. And now be witness of my glory. So as we look to this, I want you to recognize, first and foremost, that it was an appointed time. That there was, you shall set up the tabernacle on the first day of the first month. You're going to set it up. Not, not on the second day, not when you want it, not when the people want it. When, when I determine this to be set up, you are going to do it. So on the appointed time, when Jesus' says, time has come. Now initially what we begin to look at this, when we look at chapter 40, as you look at it, we see the first couple of verses are his time has come. Then the second part, when you go on to verses 3 all the way down to verse 11, we see his work as a savior, which is a beautiful thing to accomplish. Then when we see his go down to verses 12 through 15, we see his work as the high priest. And I want you to understand that when we see his work as the savior, it simply begins this, verse 3, You shall put the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are set in order on it. You shall bring in the lampstand and its light. You shall also set the altar for gold, the incense, before the ark of the testimony. And you shall put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle and meeting. And you shall set the labor between the tabernacle and meeting and the altar and put the water in it and you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen on the court gate and you shall take the and, and so you should take the anointing oil and you shall anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it you shall hallow it and it and its utensils and it shall be holy and you shall anoint the altar and the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar and the altar shall be most holy, and you shall anoint the labor and its base and consecrate it. So understand that all these things that they are going to set up and then anoint to say, God, now it's set apart for you. There's just this repetition one more time. But I want you to understand 
that the key to what we're seeing here in verse 4 says, and you shall bring. Verse 5, you shall also set. Verse 6, you shall set. Verse 7, you shall set. Verse 8, you shall set. Verse 9, you shall take. You understand that over and over again, it's you need to accomplish it. It's here, but I want it to be now absolutely set in motion. You need to do this. And, and it's a beautiful thing to recognize that the key of all of this is you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. And then you get to verse 16 and it should just blow your mind because when God said all these shalls, in verse 16 says, thus Moses did. That's amazing to see that there's nothing lacking in all that God had spoken to Moses to, to set this up as this copy, this shadow, this type of the true tabernacle, of the true minister, of the true high priest. And so it's this beautiful thing to see that initially it's showing his work as a savior. Once we get into verse 12, it shows his work as the high priest. We've covered this before. It's just kind of uh, um, speaking it again. Verse 12, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. You shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they minister to me as priest for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So, we see that it's going to be a, a priesthood that's going to be for Israel throughout their generations. And, and this is what he desires. Now, eventually what's going to happen is this, that there is not going to be a Levitical priesthood, but the whole nation is going to be a nation of priests and kings as God has established it. But initially we see that here, he says, this is where you guys are going to anoint them in this anointing that all the time that there are priests, that they need to be anointed. The beautiful thing about Jesus is what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to, to preach the gospel. He's anointed me to heal. And so amazing we see that when it comes to the priesthood, the, the priesthood there is this anointing. As he set apart everything in the tabernacle, he sets apart the, the work of the ministry as well. So it's a beautiful thing to see that what 39 ends, chapter 39 ends, 40 is now, it's now set up. It's, it's put in its place. And, and of course, the, the beautiful thing is he, it's, it sets up the time. It sets up the, the work as his ministry. And then it sets up his work as the high priest. And then the beautiful thing where in verse 16 and 17, thus Moses did according to all the Lord had commanded him. So he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up. So I want you to see that what we're noticing here is, is when it comes to this, this point that everything was done in obedience. Nothing was lacking. And so with it all done in obedience, keep in mind that it wasn't Moses' will, it wasn't the people's will, it was God's will that was accomplished. And this is important when you take a look at Jesus Christ, because it wasn't basically, oh, I'm just going to do this thing outside the Father. No, this is where the Father willed this. Jesus became a part of that. 
And so understand that when Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done, I recognize that what this ministry is, is it's absolutely and completely a fulfillment of your will, and I'm going to accomplish that will. And so realize that everything was done in obedience. And I, I want to take this moment to just kind of move over to where the true tabernacle, the true ministry is done. And where truly it was done in obedience and it was done completely, he had finished well. I love this because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to redeem us in the same way as the children of Israel were in bondage. We were in bondage to our sin. There, there, there's no difference to that. And so Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. In the same way as they would sacrifice the lamb, there would be a substitution of the blood. If they would see the substitution of blood there upon the door, death would pass by. This is Jesus Christ. We no longer have to worry about death. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. This is what he's done. So keep in mind that Jesus, he came to seek and save that was lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. That, that Jesus Christ was the perfect substitutionary sacrifice that was offered for the sins of the world. I love what he said on the cross. It's finished. This is the work that he's done. And understand that when, it, when you look at the completeness of his work, and this is something I think that we don't always look to, that, that when it came to, to the completeness, that Jesus himself endured the complete and entire penalty for our sins. He, he took it completely out. He, he bore them on the cross. He accepted the divine wrath that was ours by right, ours by deed. And, and, and so, so he said, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take this, this, this wrath that was yours that should have been poured upon you, and I'm going to take it upon me as I'm here on the cross. And so the divine wrath that was poured out for the sins of the world, Jesus, I'm taking it completely. There's, there's nothing lacking in what I'm doing. And so we see that he bears this wrath of God that has been poured out for sin. And, and so with that, the very righteousness of a, of a God of truth and holiness is now satisfied. It is absolutely the justice of God is completely and perfectly satisfied because Jesus says, I paid the price. Do you understand the completeness of what Jesus Christ is doing? And as he does so, we recognize the curse is gone, sin is gone, shame is gone, guilt is gone. All of that has been wiped out now. We no longer have the curse, because curse is everyone who hangs upon the tree. The sin is gone. The handwriting requirement that was against us, he's taken out of the way. And with that, our guilt, with that, our shame, that now, he says, come boldly into this throne of grace. That's how completely he did the work, that you and I don't have to be guilty. We don't have to have shame. And so as this perfect sacrifice is being offered, not a copy, not a shadow, not a type, but that perfect sacrifice the full and complete atonement is made. And, and it is finished. And it is done. And I love the fact that the power of sin and death is broken. Satan and his demons have been basically made a public, a public spectacle of. They have been defeated. He conquered over them on the cross. Do you understand that there's nothing left to do? When Jesus says it's finished... 
There is nothing left that we need to do, nothing left that we need to worry about, nothing left that unless we give it authority, it has no authority. Our old nature has been crucified with Christ. Now this new life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so I've been crucified. He who's begun a good work is faithful to complete it. And I recognize that, yeah, I had this old nature that's there. He rendered it inactive. Now he gives me a new nature with the Holy Spirit. And I have power to walk a life of victory. And there's nothing, nothing that's left unaccomplished that I can't take and walk. And this is an amazing thing when we look at, at what it is that Christ has done. Now, for just a moment, think about this. All the millions of sacrifices from the time at the very beginning here, when, when you know the, the sacrifice was there at the Lamb, there on, on Passover, through the building of the tabernacle, and all the millions of lambs and bulls and goats that were be sacrificed by the priest all the way up until the time the temple is destroyed. And I want you to think of those sacrifices that were offered before Christ and recognize nothing was ever finished. There was always going to be another sacrifice the next day, another one in the morning, another one in the evening. The high priest was every next year was going to come and do another bull, another goat, another substitute. Day after day, year after year, it was never finished. And now think about it. Now think about Christ has died and there is no temple. There is no sacrifice. And, and, and the amazing thing is this, that the temple and the furnishings have been destroyed. They have been removed. There are no more sacrifices. And what we recognize is this. I want to share with you one passage from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, the first four verses make this. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. You understand? It, it can't be done. It can't be perfect. It can't be complete. It can always be what? It can be covered but never removed. And this is the beautiful thing that, that God has shown us. You can cover it, you can cover it, you can cover it, but you can never remove it. Jesus Christ, his blood has taken away sin, has taken away the curse. It is so absolutely finished. Not covered, not, not, not temporary, but it's perfect. And so I love the fact that where he says that they, they can never which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Verse 2 of Hebrews 10. For then they would have ceased to be offered. For the worshiper, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. And I love the fact that when Jesus has done the work, he says, you don't need this temple anymore. There's no more need for this temple. And so amazingly what we recognize is that there are no more sacrifices. Once his sacrifice was done and... You know, those years until the temple was destroyed, there are none anymore. And so I love how the author of Hebrews says, yeah, right now you got the temple for a short while, but keep in mind, I'm telling you the work is done. And, and if you accept that work is done, you don't need the work of the temple anymore. It was a shadow, it was a type, it was a picture. And now he says in Hebrews 10, 3, 
But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Every time there's a sacrifice, there's what? The need to cover the sins again. The beautiful thing in verse 4, he says, it's not possible the blood of bulls and goats could take away the sins. And so I, I love the heart of what he begins to open up and what he begins to share because we see that in, in Romans 3, verse 10, he makes a statement, or verse 20, he makes a statement that says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. He kind of is incorporating what the author of Hebrews is saying. And, and so understand, by the deeds of the law, by the sacrifices, by everything else that the law is determining we need to do, that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You'll never be have it be removed. You'll have it be covered. And this is the beautiful thing about recognizing what this tabernacle is doing. It portrays the better, perfect work. It's a shadow. It gives you an understanding of what Jesus has done, who Jesus Christ is, what his ministry accomplishes, because everything that this tabernacle covers, Jesus has taken it out of the way. Everything that this tabernacle seeks to appease, Jesus has made it perfect. And so think about that as we go through this, because I love how, you know, Romans 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. Every time there's a sacrifice, they're thinking, sin. Another sacrifice, sin. It's again and again and again. And so I think it's so important to recognize that, that here, we begin to see the reality of what these ministries are. And so it, we're going to kind of just pick this up when we get into here this, this next section, this last section, where it says Moses, as the Lord had commanded Moses. I want to share with you just one thing here, because as we get into verses 18 through 33, where Moses raises up the tabernacle, I want you to recognize that the end of verse 19 as the Lord commanded Moses, the end of verse 21, as the Lord commanded Moses, the end of verse 23, as the Lord commanded Moses, the end of verse 25, as the Lord commanded Moses, the end of verse 27, as the Lord commanded Moses, the end of verse 29, as the Lord commanded Moses, and then at the end of verse 32, as the Lord commanded Moses, seven times. Seven, of course, we recognize in the scriptures is that number of completion, but, but seven times. It says, as the Lord commanded Moses. And then the beautiful thing is at the end of verse 3, it simply says, the end of verse 33 says, so Moses finished the work. And this is a beautiful thing to, to recognize. Now, as we look to these things that is absolutely completed as the Lord commanded, I want you to understand that when we take a look at these items according to Jesus' ministry, it is as the Lord commanded him. That he does it according to the will of the Father. He does it according to the, the recognition of this is the heart of God. Let me share with you what I mean. In verse 18 and 19, we talk about the boards and the coverings. Of course, we're right according to that pattern again. So as we look to this boards and covering, it says this, verse 18, Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, raised up its pillars, and he spread out the tent over the tabernacle. 
He put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord commanded <coughs> Moses. And so basically, God says, Moses does, and he does this seven times. But I want you to understand that as we looked at this body, that when we looked at the, the boards and we looked at the coverings, and we said, yep, this is the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But understand that it's as God commanded. If you're familiar with that passage in Hebrews 10, verse 5, we didn't read it earlier, but I want to read it now. It says this, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. As God desired, as God willed, Jesus did. God says, I have a body for you. He says, I'll go into that body. Yes, it's a baby. Yes, it'll grow. Yes, it'll, it'll be subject to weakness. All these things. But I have to be made like my brother. I have to be able to be a kinsman redeemer. And so this is a beautiful thing when we recognize that what Moses, through the Holy Spirit, is saying, the very first thing is setting up this, this, this body, this tent, the, 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 the boards and the skin, speaking of the body of Christ, it was just as God had commanded. So Jesus did what? I'll take on a body. Me who being the form of God, not considered robbery to be equal with God, I will humble myself and become a man. Absolutely incredible to see that this is as the Lord commanded. So Jesus does. The next thing after we see here that, that we're, it's that, that, as the, the body, when we take a look at verse 20 and 21, then he takes the testimony. Um, he takes the law. He puts it into the ark. He inserted the poles through the rings of the ark. And he put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung it up on the veil of covering, and partitioned, um, partitioned the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded so I want you to recognize that when it comes to this, this Ark of the Covenant, it comes to the law being set inside. And of course, as always with the Ark, you have the Ark, you have the law inside, and then on top of that is the mercy seat. I love the fact that God always meets in mercy. God is, that's who I am. Remember we're in John 3.17, Jesus says that God did not send me into the world to condemn the world, which is why the law is covered with mercy. He didn't send me into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now understand, God did not send me into the world. You understand? As God commanded, so he did. This is huge when you recognize that when God commanded him to come into the world, he didn't send him into the world to condemn it, but he sent him into the world to do what? Show the mercies of God. Show the love of God. And I love the fact that this is what here, when he takes the, the ark and he sets in the law. Now understand that God is over the law. He doesn't separate the law from himself. He says this law is my heart. This law is a representation of who I am. But when I meet with you, I meet with you in mercy. Make no mistake, this law is who I am. This law is a part of me. It's a revelation of my heart. It's a revelation of my mind. But you can't fulfill this. You can't be like me. I'm God. This, this, you, you can try to be like me. You can understand that I want to be more and more like you. I want to imitate Christ. 
those are the things that I want to do. It's always the direction that I want to walk. I'll never completely do it. Just like when we looked at the commandments. It's always the heart matter. It's always the heart matter. It's, it's not that, oh, I've never done it. But if you thought about it, if you thought about it, you know, we, we talked about just, just when, when you drive down, you know, past the church and you start coming down this, this little road that, that has that flashing sign sometimes, or, or sometimes it doesn't flash. So when, you, when you're under the speed limit, then it, it, it doesn't flash. Now, how do I know it flashes? There was a person that was driving behind me. After I went, the thing started flashing like crazy. Of course, God's going to get me for lying. On that one, but but the, the speed limit's like only 30. And so if, if you go 31, it flashes. It says, sinner, 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 sinner. And it does that. Now, now here's the thing. If you've never driven where it flashed on you, but you wanted to, you're guilty. You're guilty of the law. It's absolutely amazing. I wish it wasn't 30. It's a nice day and I'm kind of in a rush. Couldn't it have been 35? Did it really have to be 30? You, you can't argue the law. It is what it is. And I love the fact that what we begin to see here is this is the Lord. When God sent him, as God commanded, he came. But he came not to condemn. He came to save. And this is where I love that you see this testimony. You, you see the, the law put into it. And then you put the mercy seat on top. And that's where God meets. That's where the very glory of God is witnessed. And so where God always meets in mercy. And then, the, of course, the next thing that we see is, as we look to past that, now in, in verses 22 through 23, um, we, we see that here it says that he took the, um, the table, that's a table of showbread, in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and he set the, the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So now we see that he, where Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what. John chapter 6 verse 35, I am the bread of life. He says, I am going to become this as God commanded me, as God wants to show you where life is, that if you partake of me, that you are going to have life. And if you are partaking of me, that means you are partaking of him. And if you are partaking of him, as he sent me into the world to be the true manna, which the Father gives as he commands, so I do, so I become. Jesus becomes the bread of life. And so as we were looking at those I am statements, I love the fact that we looked at the Amplified version where I am what I am and, and, and who I am and I will be what I will be. I become what you need me to be to draw you closer. And God, as he told Moses, you need to make this showbread. You need to make this gold table for showbread that Jesus is what? It says, this is where the life is. There's 12 loaves. Everyone is there. And this is where the lives are set upon this table. Jesus, I am this bread of life. You partake of me and you will have life. It's just this beautiful thing that he does. And then, of course, then after he becomes that, that bread of life, then we see here in verse 24 and 25, he put the lampstand on the tabernacle of meeting across from the table of the south side of the tabernacle. He lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. So now we see the next thing, John 8, verse 12, where I am the light of the world. 
and, and so amazingly that he comes to shine in the darkness, that he comes to illuminate the path to God. He comes to illuminate, hey, this area is sin and death in you. I'm going to show it to you so you can take it out of the way. This is what his light does. It reveals sin and it shows you where life is, but it also shows you what? How you minister. This is the beautiful thing. If it wasn't for that menorah, there would be no light because the glory of God was behind the veil. This is the light that shows you where the life is. It shows you what all the furnishings in there are. It shows you what that true ministry is. And so I just love the fact that Jesus becomes the Lord, the, the light of the world. And so he shines in the darkness. He shows the path of service. He shows the path of salvation. This is what Jesus Christ has become as the Lord commanded. The next thing that we see is this. After the Lord said, you know, I want you to take up this menorah, then in verses 26 and 27, where it says this, he put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord commanded Moses. So now we recognize that we saw this was intercession. Jesus becomes what? Well, as intercession is, the intercession is one, it's that protection and it's also that access. So with that access, he becomes the door. And, and so amazingly, that there in John 10, verse 9, he becomes the door. And there in John 10, verse 11, he becomes a good shepherd. And I find it interesting that those two are both just a couple of verses away. Verse 9 and verse 11 of John 10. He's the door and he's the shepherd. But both of those work into the intercession part of this altar of incense that goes before the veil. And Jesus becomes that door. He becomes that good shepherd as the Lord commanded. The next thing that we see here is after he becomes that, that altar of incense or he sets up that altar of incense. Then verse 29, he hung up the screen door of the tabernacle. He put the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And he offered up the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord commanded Moses. So now we see that in verse 28, that, that he becomes that, that area where we see he becomes the resurrection and the life. As, as he sets up the screen now of the, the, the door, he now puts up this bronze altar. And as he sets up that bronze altar, we recognize that that was one of those things where you have a substitutional death, so you have life. In other words, that death is your substitute. It's a death instead of you. And that's why he says, the resurrection. I'm the one that gives you life. I'm the one that is the life. And so I love the fact that Jesus literally, he becomes as John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the, this beautiful thing is he becomes the substitute for death, the newness of life, the resurrection. And, and so the, the seventh thing that he then becomes, of course, is he then set the labor, um, or the sixth thing that he sets the labor between the tabernacle and meeting and the altar, and he put the water there for washing. And Moses and Aaron's sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. And whenever they went from the tabernacle and meeting, whenever they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And now we see that the last thing where it was this labor of made of copper mirrors. We looked at that the other week. And, and so where he says what? It's that journey from the altar to the, the glory of God. I am the way, the mirror. You look and you see the reflection 
of the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so as, as looking at that, we see that the, it's, it's what he spoke there of John 14, 6. I am the way. He becomes this ministry of the washing and the seeing and the cleansing and, and of, of the path that you're journeying on. It's just this beautiful thing that we begin to see. And then the last thing in verse 33, where he raises up the court. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle of the altar. So he hung up the screen for the court gate. And of course, we looked at that where in John 15, 5, Jesus becomes what? This is the place where within this tabernacle is where you rest. This is where you abide. And Jesus said, I am the vine. Abide in me. And so there's this beautiful thing where he becomes the abiding place. Where the abiding place, he calls it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, the vine, you guys are the branches, but you have to abide, you have to cling, you have to remain here. And that's what that court sets up. So it's just a beautiful thing where we see, and, and then, then the Moses finished the work. Everything that God had distinctly said, I want you to make this shadow, I want you to make this type, because the true ministry in the true priest, the true high priest is going to come. And that's going to be through Jesus Christ. Now we begin to see the last section in verse 34. And what I want to do is I want to read through this, this last part before we jump into it, because I want you to see the reality of what God does. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I want to focus here on just a moment of just the, this, this, this glory of God. Keep in mind that in reality, that where God is, is there as this cloud covers a tabernacle, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. Keep in mind that this tabernacle is simply a building of wood, it's a building of skins. It's a building of gold, silver, bronze, cloth. That's it. It's a simple building. Now, it may, may the gold, of course, looks extravagant, but what's gold to God? The, 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 the streets of, of heaven are paved with gold. That's like asphalt. You know, we don't think of asphalt as really anything, but you have to understand that it's just a simple building of wood until the glory of God comes. And, and this is an amazing thing that, that what happens is this building changes from a simple building into a place that is a dwelling for the glory of God. That's the thing that makes this building amazing. Now you can make a building entirely of gold or entirely you know, of, of that, and yet if God isn't there, it's nothing. You understand that, that this building is so simple Simple. This building is, is literally um, just a building until God shows up. And then it becomes a tabernacle. Then it becomes an instrument of an expression 
of the absolute wonderful glory of God. And so I want you to see here that, that, that initially when God met with Moses, it was there in the burning bush, and he said, this is the glory of God. I, I see this. But then when God met with the people, there in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, remember what happened. That the people were there before the mountain. There was the clouds, and there was the thunders, and there was the lightnings, and there was a trumpet blast, and there was, there was all this thing. And, and the people were terrified to go near. So they told Moses, you go near, you listen to God, and then we'll hear from you. Do you understand that they witnessed the incredible majesty and power of the glory of God. And now what happens is this. This, as you have smoke there filling the tabernacle, the glory, or smoke covering the tabernacle, the glory of God filling the tabernacle, the people aren't running away. You notice that. This is still the glory of God. But I want you to recognize here that, that now God is going to meet with the, the children of Israel in the tabernacle as the glory rests above the mercy seat, not filling an entire mountain. And, and so I want you to recognize that God can change the distinction of his glory. This is huge. This is huge to recognize that God can change what would be absolute power glory in, in what we would recognize it to a simplicity in his glory. But understand that when he brings his glory down to this kabod that rests above the mercy seat, I want you to understand that it is, he hasn't lessened his glory. Do you understand that? Well, when, when God brings his glory in a different distinction, he doesn't lessen it. It's not like, oh, wow. No, when you were on the mountain, that was glory. I don't know what you call this. You, you, you call it like glow? I mean, is, is it really a full glory going on here? It is glory. This is what here is. The glory of the Lord fills this tabernacle. Now, what do I mean by God showing different aspects of his glory? When God shows different aspects of his glory, it doesn't mean that it lessens it, but it should bring us more and more of awe. Because what God often does is he changes the aspect of his glory to bring it down to our level. He brings his glory down so that you and I can, in a sense, begin to relate to it and not be terrified of it. Jesus, being the form of God. Didn't consider Robert B. Eagle with God, but he took on the form of a man. He came as a baby. You understand that baby was God. And he was no less literally having the glory of God as he was there as a baby. But it was a different distinction of his glory. It wasn't a lesser glory because now God's a baby. No, God is this baby and he, he lessens it. He brings it into a different distinction. And so, so keep in mind that it's not cheapened, it's not lessened, but what it is is this. It's, it's, a, it's a, just a, the distinction of his glory, that he brings it down so that you and I can, can grasp it. And so keep in mind that when he brings a distinction to his glory, and he, in a sense, he doesn't lessen it as in less glory, but he lessens it as far as our fear of it. Do you understand that we're no longer, like you could go before the presence of God. You could handle that. 
but you can go before a baby in a manger like, wow, this is absolutely amazing, this baby. You could go before Jesus, and how many people went before Jesus? So understand what happens is that he, he changes how we witness his glory so that we can approach. Let me try to give you a couple of understandings to, to kind of help gravitate what I'm trying to share. In John chapter 21, you know the passage, but I want to read it to you anyways. That there's a portion of just this, of, of John, where Jesus is talking to Peter. And, and, and in talking to Peter, it, it declares this in John 21, verse 15. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, now what happens is this. And when, when we read it in the English, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because there's just two words in the Greek that are both translated in the one word in the English. What Jesus asked Peter is this. He says, Peter, do you agape me? In the Greek, are you completely given over to me? Now, when Peter answers, he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He drops it down, not to agape. He says, do you, are you completely given over to me more than these? And he goes, you know, I phileo you. I love you like a friend. And, and so we, we recognize it here. Jesus says, do you, are you at this point? And Peter says, well, you know, I'm, I'm down here. I, I, won't, I won't boast too much. And so Jesus in verse 16 says to him, uh, oh, then he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, verse 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said, tend my sheep. Now, this is the, the kicker. This is what I want you to see, that, that God comes down to our level so that we can be accepted by him and relate to him. Because the third time, verse 17 of John 21, he said to him a third time, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Mm. He didn't say agape. And then this time, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you agape me? Do you agape me? And the third time he said, do you phileo me? And, and so he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I think this is important to grasp because what happens is this, that Jesus comes down to the level. Is Jesus any less Jesus? Should he be loved any less? But do you understand in the same way that God can have the glory of the mountain, he can come and say, you know what? I can make my glory fill this tabernacle. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't lessen my glory, but it makes you so that you have less fear to relate to me. And this is always God's heart. He always tries to, to make it so that, that, that we recognize that, that there is this beautiful thing where, where God says, I want to express to you my glory, but understand that there's even a greater glory that can be expressed. Here he's in a tabernacle. Before he was in a mountain. They wouldn't go to the mountain, but they're, they're not running from the tabernacle. Do you understand? There's a passage in, in 2 Corinthians, and I want to share it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we've covered this before, but I want to look at just a couple of verses to you, and or a couple of verses with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, it makes this declaration. But if the ministry of death, written in the grave on stones, was glorious. In other words, the law was glorious. There was glory in this law. But 
so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Do you understand? It's still God's glory, but it's a glory that we can relate to. And the, the glory of the law, he says, this glory of the law was amazing. This law of death was glorious, but the law of life is even more glorious. You understand? It's still the glory of God, but he allows it to be in areas of distinction. He didn't say the law wasn't glorious because it kills. He says, no, this law that was given was glorious. It was so glorious that Moses' face shone evidence of its glory. But the ministry of the spirit of life is even more glorious. Verse 9, for the ministry of the condemnation had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even if what was made glorious had no glory in respect to the glory that excels, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So understand that there's a lot of times that God is going to allow his glory to come with distinctions. And it's important to make this note as we come to the glory coming into the tabernacle. We've seen God's glory there in the bush and Moses was amazed. But when God says, I'm going to reveal my glory to the people... Because you, you understand that if God had the cloud and the smoking and everything else, Moses wouldn't have drawn near. He, he was curious. What's this bush that's burning? I'm curious of that. And then he gets to witness to God's glory. Then God says, okay, now that you're familiar with me, I'm going to show you the real aspect, how huge my glory can be. And now I'm going to come and I'm going to make a distinction of this glory so I can be with my people more intimate. In other words, I'm not going to approach them like I could there on the mountain but I'm going to approach him kind of like where Jesus did to Peter. I'm going to come down to your level so I can have intimacy with you, so I can have nearness with you. And this is what God always tries to do. Now understand that there is a warning here that God can change the aspects of his glory, but we are never to change the aspects of God's glory. God can change it and God can make something glorious, which he does. But you and I are not to change the glory of God. There's a warning found in Romans chapter 1. Let me just read it to you. In Romans 1 verse 21, it makes this statement because, uh, or verse 23, where it says, They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image laden by a corruptible man. The birds and four-foot animals. Don't change God's glory. God can show his glory in different distinctions. You and I are not to do that. And so I want you to recognize that when it comes to this, this area of, of God, and it comes to the area of his glory, and it comes to this, this recognizing how um, God reveals his glory. You guys are familiar with the passage in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah comes up before the Lord. He's entered there in heaven, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. There's quaking. There's, there's shaking. There's all this stuff about the very glory of God. Now, as the glory of God is there with, with, with um, Isaiah, and as he comes before the very glory of God in heaven, we also see God's glory there upon the mountain. Then we see now God's glory where it's a simple building. It's a simple building of, of wood and, and metal and skins and material. That's all it is. And God says, oh, you don't understand. Heaven is an aspect of my glory, but I can lessen my glory to something that is so simple. 
something that is so insignificant until my glory comes there. But my glory can make something insignificant into something amazing. We call it tabernacle, call it temple. But amazing what happens is this. There was a piece of wood, we call it the cross. It was a simple, ordinary piece of wood used to kill. It was an instrument of cruelty and death. And amazingly, that God transforms this cross when God comes upon it. And it turns into a thing of glory. The instrument of death comes into this, this instrument of life for us. It was death for Christ, but it's life. Do you see how God transforms the very simple things into something that's absolutely incredible and majestic? He takes this simple cross and he makes it into a glorious testament of life. Paul said, I desire to preach nothing else of Jesus Christ and him crucified, to know nothing but the cross. This is what I proclaim. And I love the fact that, that, that he takes something so simple, so insignificant, and, and yet for, for ages and ages and ages, only known as an instrument to be feared, an instrument of death. And now, since Christ, it's an instrument of life. It's a statement, a symbol of the glory of God. How so amazing is that? A cave, a simple grave. They're in a garden. It, it's, just, it's just a tomb. Nothing more than a hole in, 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 a, in a rock. But yet when the Lord goes and he rests in there, only three days, but he goes and rests, then the grave turns into a thing of glory. Do you understand that it becomes this transformation? It, it, it starts as, as the, the, the final resting place of him who was you know, titled King of the Jews. He, he went there, but, but then once it's empty, of its contents, this grave transforms and becomes this place of absolute glory. So I want you to recognize that when it comes to something that is, is, is ordinary and simple and, and where the world would see it as, it's nothing. A simple building, now it's transformed because the glory of God comes. A cross, a simple tree, a piece of wood becomes glorious, a hole in the ground a grave becomes glorious. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, no, no. Here's the kicker. You and me, sinners redeemed by grace. I want you to recognize that, that we're insignificant. David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? I, I find it absolutely amazing that, that we become a dwelling place for the very spirit of God. We become literally vessels of glory. Do you understand that as simple as we are, and, and, and when his glory is in us, it doesn't diminish, recognize this, the same glory that was there on the mountain, the same glory that was there above the mercy seat, because now the glory is in us what? so that he can relate to us. He distinguishes it in a different way. He adapts it where it doesn't lessen it. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit, the very glory of God that is in us is not lesser glory than what's in the tabernacle or what's on the mountain or what Isaiah witnessed in heaven. It's not less. It's a distinction of it so that God could become more intimate. In other words, what God does is this. He moves from agape to do you phileo me. I'm going to meet you where you are. 
I'm going to express to you as I come. And I think it's so important to, when we come to recognize those things, because God is the one who's going to do the work. Remember in Jeremiah 18, where it says in the, the, the first few verses, I want to start reading in verse 3, because Jeremiah says this, I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred at the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel. I love the fact that he was making a vessel and he found a flaw and he just squished it down and he made it into something else. When God sees a flaw, and understand it's just a clay vessel, like we are, clay pots, marred clay pots, but God does something amazing. He's going to put his glory into these clay pots. And so we become instruments, we become vessels of his glory. There's one portion of scripture that I want to read and actually close with as we look to this very glory of God and the resting place of God. And it's actually found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read from verses 5 all the way to verse 15. And follow with me as I do, because Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves with Christ Jesus the Lord. And then he says this, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who is shown in our hearts. Do you understand? This light, this glory of God is now in our hearts. It's shining in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That now that he's in us, we see and we can witness the glory of God that is in Jesus Christ. Now the glory is in our hearts. We bear witness to the glory that is in him. Absolutely amazing. He says this, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are just clay pots, but we have this treasure. The excellence of the power may be of God and not in us. And then he says this. We are hard-pressed on every side. Yeah, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. The life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That his glory would be witness to who we are. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. You understand that glory of God. And then he says this, verse 12, death is working in us with life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke and we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised us up he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Do you understand that not only does God fill us with his glory, but here's an amazing thing. He fills our praise with his glory. And, and you may think that, the, that when we glorify the Lord with our praise that it's lesser. It's not. This is what we've been looking at. He will show distinctions of his glory. 
so that he can relate to us more. And when we're able to praise him, he says, this is to my glory. And I love the fact that the glory that comes through our praise to God is no less the entirety of the glory that's there when he filled the tabernacle and the children were in awe, where Moses couldn't even go in. You understand that this is some place where, where when his glory is there, when your praise and your, your adoration is, is just purely given by God and for the glory of God, he says, I'm there. And he receives this glory. And I think it's so amazing to recognize this. This cloud covers the tabernacle and Moses wasn't able to enter because the, the cloud was, was there. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Know this, saint. The glory of the Lord makes the simple into the profound. And the glory of the Lord makes you and me from being just ordinary and, and insignificant into something profound. And he makes our praise, which the world sees as ordinary and insignificant, into God says, this is my glory. Oh, may we come to that place where we say, God, let your glory fill this house and let your glory be expressed through our praise for everything, Jesus, that you have done and accomplished, that it is finished. Amen? Oh, Father, we thank you for this word. What an incredible thing, Lord, to see this, your heart, expressed in such a pure way. And we want to be those who are our witnesses of your glory. And we are want to be those who are our vessels of your glory and that let our praise become instruments of your glory, Lord. In the same way, we just want to do what you command us to do. Glorify you. Speak of you. And, and Father, so, so teach us, teach us, teach us what it is that we are vessels of your glory, that we are, are made holy because of Jesus, what you have done. And, and, and there's nothing lacking because Jesus, you have finished it. There's, there's nothing that you have left to accomplish because it is done. As Moses finished the work, Jesus, you finished the work. And all we have to do is what? Rest and walk in that finished work. Believe it by faith that it is done. Believe it by faith that what you have said we are. And let our praises be of faith. Declaring your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said. Amen. Amen.